0: Welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, helping to raise awareness and help find a cure. Thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts, uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear these stories, including the Williams F1 team's planning director, Richard Jones, right now on your chosen podcast podcast player the charity work all year round to help develop research and raise awareness and this October sees the return of the brain tumor charity's most beloved community event the twilight walk you can join them remotely this autumn to cover 10 kilometers 40 kilometers 130 kilometers or your very own distance to raise money and take strides towards a cure moving about is well known for boosting our well-being and you can complete your walk bit by bit or all in one go as a team or by yourself at home or indoors so visit www dot the twilight to sign up and start your fundraising challenge a huge thank you for your support if you can donate anything you can do that through the motormouth club website or through the brain tumor charity direct and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumor we're really excited to be once again teaming up with f1 experiences the official experience hospitality and travel program of formula one f1 experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport and let's face it Any chance to get close to Formula 1 this year, we are all over it. And the brilliant news is you can now return trackside thanks to F1 Experiences. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first-class hotels, and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit F1Experiences.com, where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 Experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. So, what are you waiting for? Experience the 2021 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at F1Experiences.com.
1: Hello, everyone. Tim Sylvie here. Now, our guest today hails from Quito in Ecuador. And did you know, Harry, that Ecuador is in fact the closest country to space? Yes, you might think of Mount Everest, but no, the Earth is not a perfect sphere and means because of its rotation, there's a slight bulge at the equator. That means that the equator is closer to space, and it also means that the the bulge is big enough that Mount, apologies for my pronunciation here, Chimborazo, is actually 1.5 miles higher than Everest. I bet you didn't know that. I
0: had no idea at all. That's very impressive. Uh, Me me neither.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. But,
0: but, but,
1: Harry, first, before we introduce our Ecuadorian slash American guest. Oh, yes. Let's test your geography skills, because you know how I like to test your geography skills. Which of the following countries does not border Ecuador? Is it A, Chile, B, Colombia, C, Peru, or D, it borders all three and no tips please from our guest.
0: Oh! Um, what, so Peru, Colombia, and what was Chile. the other one? Chile, Chile, Colombia and Peru. Which um, of those does not
1: border Ecuador? And if you think it through, you could probably get this.
0: It's, so it's definitely definitely one of them doesn't border. Is that right? Well, it could border all three. That is option D. I'm gonna
1: say um You haven't got it Oh okay uh, oh it borders all three. Incorrect. Oh. Incorrect. I think I would have got I mean I obviously know the answer, I've seen the answer, but um I, I, I'm not gonna reveal the answer actually until we introduce our guest because I want to see okay. if he gets it. And if he doesn't, it's a shameful, shameful <laughs> thing. Talking of our guest, today we're joined by Juan Manuel Correa, a man who, as we know, was born in Ecuador in 1999 before testing his ability in the US, where he settled in Miami. He's competed and won the 2013 Rotax National Championship and became Rotax Junior World Champion in Karts. He was scouted and recruited by the Lotus F1 team on their junior program and moved to Europe to pursue his dream just 14 years old. He went on to take part in Formula 3 and Formula 2 before a well-publicised cruel accident changed the course of his life and career. However, he's back doing what he does best and making his mark once again on the motorsport world it's a pleasure to have him here jm thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and please put harry out of his misery chile colombia peru which one does not border ecuador
2: <laughs> thank you guys um it's chile it is ch- way down south exactly yeah. chile is
0: further I- south I, it is getting a bit. I've got every single question wrong so far. What the team has interviewed, so it's it's not going well. I, I was thinking I was thinking Peru, but I thought, oh no, they've got mountains as well. So that's probably yeah. No, okay. Well, uh, we'll move swiftly on, shall we? Um, <laughs> JM, thank you uh, for joining us. Where are you at the moment in the world? I'm in Barcelona. This is my my base for this year. Yeah. Nice and so. If we go back just to the very, very beginning uh, to start off with and getting into motorsport, how did that come about? Was it there from a young age? Was it in the family or did you just kind of discover it?
2: Uh, No, it it was always there um, through my family. I I mean, I I have nobody in my family that ever was a professional uh, driver, but from both my dad and mom's side, they were all, you know, into rally motorcycles Uh, Both my grandparents, they raced back in the day, you know, like local stuff. Um, So we were always, uh, you know, big fans of F1 and and karting and everything. So I was kind of born with a a bicycle and and a motorcycle in in my hands pretty much. You know, there's videos of me at four years old driving around in a little 50cc motorcycle. So um, and Ecuador is a country where there's a lot of uh, fans of of F1 rally, you know, um, it's big over there. So I just kind of uh, got into it. And then my dad got me into karting because he started to race rally for, for fun when he got older. And uh, he met some people that were uh, into the karting scene there. And I started like that. And uh, at that stage, I was racing motorcycles before I started with motocross. But once I went into a go-kart, I never wanted to get back on the motorcycle and didn't want to get out of the go-kart. And I was pretty good at it since the beginning. So it just kind of took off from there. And you you were pretty good at it and and you decided to to move.
1: You you went over to the States and started competing at a higher level. You won the junior Road Tax World Championship, as we said at the top of the show. You must be thinking at this point, actually, I'm not bad at this. Perhaps there's a career in it for me. Was that when it started becoming a bit more serious?
2: Um it, it definitely became more serious at that point, but in my mind, I was convinced I was gonna be an F1 driver since I was seven which was very naive, but um, I thought I was so good since the beginning. And and I guess that helped me, you know, you need a lot of confidence in in the sport. Uh, I I won pretty much everything in in Ecuador. Then we moved to Miami actually for personal reasons. So it wasn't like we were chasing a career at that stage, but it definitely helped me because the level in in the USA is much greater. There's a lot more opportunity. And then eventually I began winning everything in the USA as well. And that's the year when I, I won the... Uh, national championship, the world championship. And I got recruited to go in, in Europe. Um, and, and I would say that year 2014 was really the start of, okay, now I'm really living, I'm not going to be living a normal life anymore. You know, I started to do homeschool. I was living by myself in Italy and I was focused hundred percent on, on racing up up until 2013. It was still like, I was going to school normally missing a lot of it, but I, I still kind of had a, a two lives in, in a way, but uh, then it all changed. I was going to say, how did you find that
0: adapting to that you know the big we've, we've talked to a lot of drivers who make you know the big move to europe especially obviously you've you've come from America this time around done well there you've adapted there then over to Europe, living on your own. that must have been quite difficult, especially with this whole lifestyle change suddenly thrust onto you
2: yeah it it was not easy um I would say probably the racing part was the easiest, actually, um, because I I got up to speed during the year and I became competitive quite quickly. um, And and that was a positive. But the cultural side of it, the life part of it was was not great. I mean, um, also, my situation was not an easy one because I was so young uh, that I couldn't have my own car. Like I couldn't be independent, but I was living there by myself. So I had to move around with a bicycle. I didn't speak the language at the time. Um, I had never been away from my family for so long, you know, so it, it was um, pretty depressing in, in the beginning. And I think the only thing that kind of kept me afloat uh, was my love for racing and the fact that the racing side of it was going well and there was progress and I was really into it. So um, I just kind of lived with with a personal side and, and just, you know, focus on on the racing and, you uh, Eventually, you know, I started to find my, my, my ground in Europe, not, not only racing, but living there. And uh, yeah, now I've been living here in Europe on and off since 2014. Like, so I spent the last, in the last 10 years, i spent more time in Europe than in, in America. So that's, that's crazy. I think people forget, don't they, who who perhaps don't have as much of
0: a vested interest in motorsport, that how much you have to, especially young drivers, have to deal with off the track as, as well as you know performing on it. And they've got all this stuff that they just kind of, kind of leave at the door and then get into the car and kind of pretend that's not happening. So it, it's super difficult. But as you say, you were doing well on the track. And if we go uh, fast forward perhaps to 2016, I think it was, in uh, Italian F4, and you won that championship, right, with Prima. So a huge team, obviously, in junior categories. And you also then dovetailed that doing a, a bit of German F4 as well. And, and this was really, it, this seems like the moment where a lot of momentum is starting to build. You're going up the ladders, you know, almost the sort of the road to Formula One. And as you said, this dream of becoming a, an F1 driver is starting to look, you know, not so naive anymore because you're on the road there.
2: Yeah, yeah. So then I I made the switch into a four. I, I didn't win the championship. I I might have won the rookie championship. Oh, it might be the rookie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but it was a pretty successful first year in in cars. Um, and, and yeah, and then you know you know how it is. It just started to, of course, look a bit more realistic. But but at the same time, I started to mature a, a little bit and understand really how tough it is to to get to F one, and all. Uh, oh, all the factors that are into it. It's not just about, you know, how quick you are, how good you are. You have to be at the right moment, at the right place, in the right time, with the right team. So I started to also get to know this political side of racing um, and, and trying to manage that as well. Absolutely. And it is a thing that is uh, very
0: prevalent, obviously, to this day. I suppose the relationship then with Sauber was a a huge thing for you when that came around? How how did that come about, and what what did
2: that start out as? Yeah, so that arrived in twenty nineteen. Um, I, I was in my first year in F two, and I was with Shadows, which that year was named the Sauber Junior Team. So they had a, a separate deal with uh, Sauber to name their team the Junior Team, and they got some benefits. And then on top of that. Um, I was approached by Alfa Romeo and they wanted me to be like a development driver. They wanted to follow me a bit and um, they gave me an F1 test as well that year. So yeah, I mean, that was, um, it was my first time being back involved with an F1 team since uh, the Lotus junior team closed down in 2015, 2016. Um, so that was nice. And uh, I got my first F1 test, which was a dream come true. It was uh, lovely. And then, the next week uh, I had the crash in Spa and everything just came to a, an abrupt end. So I feel like right now um, I'm trying to get back to where I was just before the crash and kind of retaking the, the, my, my career. And
1: and for those of our listeners who, who don't know, and, and if you're not happy talking about this, obviously we won't, but that, that was a pivotal moment for you. Um, and it's been the scene of, of many crashes, even in recent history, Um, And you had a a very severe accident, you fractured both your legs, Um, I believe you had a minor spinal injury as well, you were airlifted to hospital for surgery before being transferred to London and placed in a coma after suffering acute respiratory failure. You were then taken out of your coma and work began on your legs when your lungs were strong enough to cope with the operation. And then you began your sort of, I guess, intense recovery process and, and amazingly Completed your comeback in in Formula Three. I mean, where to start with it? Did Did you ever think, first of all, that you would get back racing? How was your mindset once you all came around and
2: were were starting your rehab? Um, I I always made it my goal to come back, and uh, in the beginning, more than it being a real a realistic goal for me, it was just something to keep me out of, of depression and to keep me motivated in my recovery. You know, okay. I, I kind of put that in, in my head. Um, but, but, you know, as, as the recovery went on, I started to get to know myself a bit better and get to know my injuries a little bit better. And once you start kind of improving little by little, I mean, the, the process was excruciatingly long and painful, but I started to believe, you know, that it would be possible. But again, I think it was also part of me just trying to be positive um, because the doctors told me I was crazy. You know, uh, my, my legs, especially the right leg, it uh, it should have been amputated. I mean, the doctors were recommended recommending that we cut it off because the, the injuries were so bad. They told me, you know, we don't know if you'll ever be able to walk on it again. Um, if, if even after all the surgeries, you know, something can go wrong and we might have to amputate it, amputate it anyways. Um, and, and if you do save the leg, the, the pain is going to be so bad for the rest of your life that, you know, it, you're, you're going to have no quality of life. So it was not really great, great news. But um, I just kept going through it, you know, and putting in a lot of, of work, much more than, than the doctors were recommending. So I always went kind of over the top. And actually, my biggest risk was not to go too much, mm-hmm. you know, too much rehab and refracture something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just you know my my life stopped completely from one day to another, and I put all the energy and effort that I was putting into racing, I just put it in into my legs and, and getting back as a person, you know, not just driving, but trying yeah. to walk again and everything. Yeah, that, and that's what absolutely. I've been doing.
0: That first race back with Formula Three, you've you've made it back to uh, an incredibly tough championship a car a fast car and you're under you know the watch of of the formula one paddock once again what was that like to to sit on the grid ready to go back for your first race post recovery
2: post injury it it was nerve-wracking you know um it was nerve-wracking because when you've been out of it for so long you feel like a complete rookie you know it's it's not natural anymore um but it was also nerve-wracking because of the accident, you know, to get back in in, in a car. The first time I drove a car in testing was not, was not that, you know, uh, people uh, and the doctors and the psychologists were thinking, oh, I might start getting flashbacks. And mm. But no, I, I never had any, any problems like that. But the first race, it was like, okay, this is real, you know, like we're going to be racing, there can be crashes again, like I need to, <laughs> to get it together. And, you know, I, I just tried to calm myself down and got through it. It was, it was tough. Not, 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 not mentally, but physically as well. It was really tough. And at that stage, you know, the, the first race we did this year in, in Barcelona, I was still uh, walking around with crutches, you know, when, when I was racing, it was yeah, it, it was crazy. And then I have still medals all over my legs. You know, uh, an accident right now for me could mean disaster for my legs. Cause when you have medals in your legs it's very risky. So, it's all part of the things I've been having to deal, uh, the whole year. Uh, I couldn't use the normal brake pump up until two races ago because I couldn't do the, the brake pressure. So we made all kinds of adjustments to to the brake pedal and the pumps. And, you know, I was just kind of hanging on for dear life uh, during, during the first part of the season. Um, and, and always chasing, you know, because it's a very competitive championship. The guys here that are at the top, they're top drivers. Um, and uh, it's been
1: a big challenge, but I've, I've enjoyed it. How's the the mental part of it? I mean, you know, you look at other cases, um, other crashes and incidents like Billy Munger, who's, you know, come back and excelled. It's changed the course of his life, but he's he's managed to keep it together. Did, did you go through any... Difficult patches mentally. And, and I'm interested in this area for a number of reasons. I mean, we, we did a podcast with a guy who owns a, a mental health charity, um, a guy called Lewis Warren in the UK. Um, and it's an automotive charity that, that supports uh, mainly men, but women as well through um, challenging mental health issues. And we're hoping to do an event soon with Movember, uh, the charity to to do a motor mouth
0: event with them that's focusing on on mental health A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first class hotels and transfers and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One and thanks to F1 experiences you can return to the track this year and motormouth listeners can save five percent on your next f1 experiences package by using the code motormouth when booking online at f1 experiences.com
1: it's an interesting subject it's an important subject did you struggle mentally or have you managed to keep strong in that regard no
2: i I struggled for sure Uh, i would say that the toughest part was <clears throat> in the beginning to accept what had happened you know when I came out of the coma uh, they had to tell me again everything that, that had gone down uh, the fact that Antoine had died in the accident um, how serious the, the situation with my legs were you know basically when I came out of the coma they told me so, you will never be forget about the Juan Manuel you, you knew you will never be the same you're never going to drive again we don't know if you're going to walk again we don't know if you'll have your leg by this time next week so just, you know, don't get your hopes up and just uh, accept what's happening, you know? And I was like, that, that's a lot to take in one in one day. Huge. Um. So so that was tough. And then slowly, I, I just stopped kind of thinking about the future and I just started to take it one day at a time. Um, I, the first thing I wanted to do was get out of that hospital. I was in the hospital for over two months. You know, it was horrible. Yeah. Um, and then I, I went back to Miami to start the process and keep doing the, the, the surgeries and the whole recovery. And then I would say that was just as tough as, or even tougher because you go out of the hospital environment where you're like in this little bubble, you know? So yeah, you're crippled in a bed with your legs full of metals, but everything there is made to make you feel comfortable and you don't have to interact with anybody except your family or whoever is visiting you. You know, you, you kind of, you don't see really what glimpses of what your life will be like after that. And when I got to Miami, I, I was, I could not be independent. I was in a wheelchair, you know? Um, and and that was probably even tougher because everyone just goes on with their life. You know, the world keeps spinning and you're there in in your wheelchair not knowing what's going to happen with you. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty depressed for, for a few weeks, few months, um, I decided to come off the, the pain medication because that was messing, you know, the opioids. I, I was on very heavy opioids yeah. and that was messing with my head. You know, I felt super depressed all the time. I didn't feel like myself. Um, but I, I think there was always something inside of me that just kind of kept me going. You know, I never let myself go down too deep in, into that hole. Um yeah. And, and eventually the progress started to come. The surgeries went on, you know, for, for, for a long time, I was kind of like in cruise control, uh, just working my ass off and not really, I didn't want to think or talk about it. I was just working, 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 working. And that was kind of my way of distracting myself. Um, and, and eventually some progress started to arrive. There were like little glimpses of hope. They took the medals of my legs. I could stand up for the first time on, on both my feet, um, and, and that's just kind of the, the way I've taken it, you know, little by little. But it has been tough. It has been really tough. It's a testament it's to
0: uh, how strong you are mentally and physically it really is quite remarkable it is. and to be back on the grid and, and racing it and not just you know you're mixing it with them all it's not like you're you're uh, at the back of the pack either in formula three you're very much in the hunt every single time as well which must have been a, a huge uh, a huge boost to you as well because as i'm sure we're all aware there's still you know a long way to go especially if you've only had these these aids taken off the car as well in the last couple of rounds but how have you felt the season's gone in general
2: the season has been, <clears throat> results-wise, a bit up and down, which has been strange because the, the progress has been constantly better on mm-hmm. from my side. Um, but we've had a couple of rounds in the middle where I did a couple mistakes. I, a new track in Sanward was not easy for me, so it's been a bit all over the place. But in general, um, I would say the, the first half of the season was a bit like I expected it um and at some stage you know in in France I was fighting inside the top 10 on on the three races and that was even unexpected we were not expecting it to go that well and on the other side now the last race in in spa and and sunboard was worse than we expected it and the pace we have is much higher than to be fighting for p20 p15 so Mm. uh that's a bit frustrating but I mean I've seen this year the whole time as kind of a transition year I was never here to to fight for the championship. That, that was not, not even close to being possible. Um, and, and like I said, the progress has been clear and, and the team can see it also from behind the scenes. There's a lot more than just the results mm-hmm. and, and more than anything, my feeling inside the car has been improving a lot, especially the last few rounds since we took all the aids off. Uh, I'm starting to see little glimpses of the old JM, which is really encouraging um, and and I think you know right now my, my focus is to finish off strong in Sochi. Not again, not results wise. Just keep improving myself and, and feeling better, and uh, do a better prep for
0: next year. It, I mean, there's no other words for it. It is just incredible. And what's also a remarkable, James, is that you've being quite vocal about safety in motorsport throughout the entire time as well. And particularly in relation, of course, to, to Radiono Rouge in, in, at Spa-Francorchamps. We saw incidents so recently there in F1 with Lando Norris, the W Series pipe as well, and GTs with Jack Aiken and a number of GT drivers having um, a, a huge collision there at the top of the hill. Uh, do you feel like your voice is, is being heard there? And what do you want to change in respect to that specific part of the track? And also, can that be taken and used for other tracks as well? Because at the moment, it seems like it's just a spa thing, but actually, can it be seen in other places as well?
2: I think there's always uh, improvements that, that we can make in other places and in the cars themselves. Um, if you see the pictures of my car after the crash it is quite shocking that the way it broke and, you know, that's for sure can be an improvement. And I still haven't been allowed to understand why it broke that way. So the FIA have been very close really? uh, about the whole situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have been vocal because um, I, I feel like at least, you know, we had this tra- tragedy, um, uh, another driver died I am permanently disabled for the rest of my life due to that accident. So at least let's make it um, be worth it in, in the way that let's make changes, you know, let's make sure that doesn't happen again. Um, and, and so far there hasn't been a change. So answering your, your question, I don't particularly feel that they my, 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 my voice has been heard because I've been saying this since two years ago already. Uh, at first internally, uh, there was no response and, and now, of course, you see the accidents and social media. And unfortunately it seems that a crash in F1 without any serious uh, damage to, to anyone will create more and more uh, change than a, a fatal crash in F2, yeah. which for me is a bit, it, it shouldn't be that way. Um, but, you know, uh, hopefully at least it changes. In this case, I do think there has to be some changes done to the corner, not to the actual layout. You know, I, I think, you they can just change the barriers, cave the track inwards to allow for more room in, in case a car crashes. And, and the corner does not have to change it. It is a, a fantastic corner, you know, going through that corner. There's no feeling like that in the world and fans love it. It's iconic. But, uh, you know, it, it's a sport where there's a lot of money involved. And I'm sure if they really wanted to, they can change the, the track yeah. and make it a bit safer. So the question is, is when?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, keep keep being vocal. Um, you know, hearing you speak, I don't know whether you sort of take notice or take it in, but it's very inspiring hearing someone like you speak because of what you've been through, but you articulate it very well. So keep being vocal and, and you know, we'll do our our small bit in our tiny part of the uh, motorsport um, universe to try and support you and amplify you wherever we can but let's look to the future you. um you you're you're back in the seat you're doing what you do best what is the plan now has anything changed in the grand plan is f1 still the goal
2: i I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it i'm I'm looking at it um, i would love still to go to f1 um But we we have to see, this accident and this life experience has really changed my perspective in the way that before I I was looking at at racing like I think most other drivers in F2 and F3 were it's either F1 or or nothing, you know, and that's all there is to life. And uh, now I've learned that there's a lot more to life than just being an F1 driver. Um, And there's a lot of other categories where you can have a great career and have just as much fun and, and enjoyment, so um we, we have to see what's best you know if it's still realistic uh to go to f1 we will pursue that if i am able to find the budget the, the support i will pursue that but if not i'm not going to be one of those drivers that is staying in formula 2 until he's 25 years old mm-hmm. um hoping for a miracle you know uh, for me uh, i'm not going to wait for a miracle and i'm going to do what's best uh, in, in the general sense so yeah. we will see for, for next year i would i uh, probably like to go to F2. We're looking at options right now. Uh, because anyway, I think I still need to go back to that category to keep learning and get back to 100%. I think I still need one f- more full season to really be back at, at the level I was before. And uh, what better category than F2? It's probably one of the most competitive categories in the world. So, And, and I already know the tracks. I know the teams. You know, I'm, I'm in that environment, and, and that's an advantage. So we're we're looking at options at the moment, but nothing is. uh, It's a bit too early uh, right now to to really have anything confirmed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Steve still rebuilding. Um, who is the best driver you've ever shared a track with?
2: (laughs) Um, that's that's a tough one. That I've ever shared a track with. I mean, I've been. I've I've shared tracks with really good people. George Russell really impressive um who else do you have antoine in in his f2 in 2019 f2 he was really impressive that year if, i don't think i've shared the track with charles or, or alex Alwyn.
1: so you're not, su- uh, not surprised either. not surprised by george's um
2: success then
1: no, no. Uh, he, uh, he's been
2: really impressive since carding. Um, I, I, I didn't, I only raced with him one year because he was always like a couple of years ahead of me, but I have seen him, you know, I remember when I was doing karting uh, carding in, in USA, he was winning everything here in Europe. Um, and then he went to F three, he had a couple of tough years in F3, uh, with not such good teams. And it seemed like his career to F1 was kind of over. And then he got, a an opportunity to be with Mercedes in GP3 with ART and he won the championship in the first year. And then the F2, he won it on the first year. So, um, no, not not surprised at all. I think there's, there's a lot of young talents now coming up, um, that I have raced against and uh, that are, you see these guys going into F1 and immediately being up there with, the with the big boys, you know, and I think that just kind of shows the level that we have uh, nowadays in the junior categories
0: motorsport can uh, change very quickly as we well know is there anything you would have done differently coming up through you know through the ranks in your career so far if you could go back
2: yes there's always things you can do differently uh, I, I don't regret it I think one thing is to be regretful or something of something or, or to want to change it but you know, there's always, you know, oh, that might have been a better team for that year or I should have yeah. stayed one more year in this category and not gone up. Um, but it's all super subjective, you know. I think for the opportunities I had in the places where I was at that moment, we did the best we had. Um, and, you know, we, we we managed to to still have a... and go pretty far, you know. So yeah. I think uh, overall, I, I had already a pretty good career.
1: Now, I'm... Um- We've amazingly covered half an hour in the blink of an eye. Um, so we're already okay. coming towards the end. Um, but um, we have a final three questions, which we ask all of our guests, um, and they throw up different answers. Um, they're brought to us by our friends over at F1 Experiences. Harry, do you want to kick off with the first one? Yes. JM, what's got you
2: excited at the moment? At the moment? Um, number one, Russia. So we have Sochi next week and uh, I did the prep at the sim uh, yesterday with the team and kind of all my focus is there. And then I would say the second major thing is next year. You know, at this time we're discussing with teams, uh, seeing where I'm going to be living, you know, kind of what my life is going to look like. And that's always exciting, but very stressful as well. Um, And finally, I'm excited to go back to Miami, uh, hopefully soon once the season is over. I haven't been there in months and I haven't been seeing my family so much this year. So I'm looking forward to that good stuff that'll be amazing uh, second one for you
1: what are you scared of um,
2: mm. um, <laughs> I will tell you something funny my most common nightmare this is a true story my most common nightmare I had one the night before the sandbar race two weeks ago <laughs> and it is always the same I am getting ready for the race And for some reason, I'm very late. All the cars are on the grid about to go. And I don't manage to get my suit and my kit on in time for the race. And the race starts without me. And every time it happens, I wake up sweating and screaming. So I I think that's probably like my biggest nightmare ever um, and and it's something I don't know why I'm sure there's some meaning behind yeah, that yeah. but there's, I hate being late There's something being late and I would hate to miss a race so there's something behind there's that there's something
1: yeah. there we, we need to find that needs a psychologist
0: to dissect
1: and find out what's going <laughs> yeah. on inside your brain
2: <laughs> well oh God, I can
0: imagine yeah the sweat's going through there as well and no, suddenly no, wake no. it up um, got a final question for you then JM what is your favourite racing destination hmm
2: I, I really enjoy Abu Dhabi, like the end of the year when when we were doing GP3 and F2. Um, I really enjoyed Monaco. That was nice. Uh, and and Vegas. I, when I was doing karting, we used yes. to do the Super Nationals in Vegas. That was pretty cool. Oh, cool. Um, we, we go to some, some cool places, but I think those are my top three because, I mean, Abu Dhabi mainly because there's the end of the year party and everyone's kind of like in a good mood. Um, Monaco, it's it's Monaco, it's something special, and, and the same with Vegas. Yeah, no, Vegas, brilliant city, love it. Uh, I totally agree on Abu Dhabi. Not the best track
1: necessarily in the world, but the
2: facility no, is, is amazing. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not talking. I'm not talking tracks. No, I'm no, not talking no. It, and and I think I think Miami is gonna be amazing next yeah. year. Oh yes, I bet you're buzzing for that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like uh, even if I don't. Hopefully they will put F2 and I will be in F2 and race there. That would be amazing. But if not, I'm going to be there 100% because I've been hearing they're going to build like a, a, a marina into the around the stadium and they're going to park like mega yachts. I mean, they're going all out, man. It's going to be crazy.
1: And hopefully yeah. it, it does some good for, for Formula One in, in the States. I mean, I know we've got the Austin Grand Prix and it's and that's all heading in the right direction, but we still need more U.S talent in formula one there is you know it seems unbelievable when you when you have a the Hass f1 team and and we don't have a um a us driver um treading the boards week in week out when there's so much talent out there i'm a massive indycar fan and there is so much american talent that is is available it seems crazy that it's not being utilized anyway that's a discussion for another day i also Mm. wanted to quiz you on ecuador what's it like should we be going on holiday to ecuador
2: for sure. I is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Do you get to go? Oh, no, really. It's, do,
1: it's, do you go back?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I go back probably twice a year. Um, like, always New Year and, and Christmas, I'm, I'm there. And then sometime in, in, in the rest of the year, I, I escape for a week or two. But my family, they're there four or five times a year. We still have an apartment there. My whole family, like grandparents, cousins, uh, are there. And, and it, honestly, it's one of the most beautiful countries in the world, I am sure. Um, it, yeah, we, we have the mountains in the middle. So you can, you know, go to the mountains. Like you said, Chimborazo is Chimborazo. closer to the Sun than Everest. Yeah. Yeah. We also have uh, Cotopaxi, which is the highest active volcano in the world. Yeah, yeah, we have some crazy stuff. And then you have the coast on one side. We have the Galapagos Islands. I'm yes, sure you've heard of them. So they crazy. are absolutely crazy, incredible. And then on the other side, we have the Amazon. So we have anything you can dream of. We have in Ecuador, we have great food, the people are nice. So it's are the, are, definitely. Are weird. The, is the Galapagos Islands, is that part of
1: the Ecuadorian area? Yeah, I didn't know that either. that's terrible oh, yeah. I should have known that yeah. I should well, have I'm found sold. that in my research yeah he's got an apartment there we can go and we'll just turn up hello <laughs> Yeah. You <can> come <laughs> listen um, JM thank you for joining us on the show um, all too brief but fascinating talking to you um, your story is inspiring it's amazing it's great to see that you're following through with all this stuff with the FIA and the safety measures um, it's it's amazing to hear from someone who's been through all that trauma has come out the other side and is and is proving a success again despite doctors and others telling you that it can't be done so a hugely hugely inspiring story thank you for sharing it with us and being so open and hopefully it can help some of our listeners as well Um, but for now um, Manuel thank you
2: for joining us thank you Thank you very much, guys. It uh, was my pleasure and it was a fun one. I appreciate
0: it. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first-class hotels, travel and exclusive behind-the-scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend, F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So, to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to F1Experiences.com and if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials Twitter at MOTORMOUTH underscore Instagram at MOTORMOUTH underscore official and Facebook, just search MOTORMOUTH. You can also download the MOTORMOUTH app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast